0: of the oven it's cinema bums I'm Wade and I'm Emmett Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time Today we are continuing our mini series Webhead Summer covering every Spider-Man film we will fully spoil today's film The Amazing Spider-Man 2 but we will not spoil any future entries in the series Emmett how are you doing
1: I am doing well. This movie is a much maligned film, and I am here. I am here. I am here to avenge her. Oh, boy. (laughs) I will avenge you, Spider Man (laughs) 2. I will save you, Gwen Stacy. (laughs) I will kill you, Rhinoceros.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Good, 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 good. Today we are talking about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, released May 2nd, 2014, by Sony Pictures. You said last week you saw this one in theaters, Emma? I definitely did. And you said last week that I saw it in
1: theaters with you, which is all equally exciting news.
0: No, we did. We saw X-Men together while this was out.
1: Emma. Oh, okay. No, I was going to say, I, I thought that I saw this in theaters. When did this come out? What, what was the date that it came
0: out? If only I had recently said it. It was May 2nd, 2014 by Sony Pictures.
1: There's a good chance that I saw this with a bunch of classmates at School of the Arts. I think with my roommate at that time, Joshua Pagan, who was a big Spider-Man fan. I think he mm-hmm. wore a Spider-Man suit to go watch this movie.
0: I don't remember who I saw it, but I definitely had seen this before. I remembered it more than the first one. It's got more memorable moments than the
1: first one too. I feel like just in general.
0: Yes, I would agree with that.
1: Although, wait, hold up, just forgot this get hype moment from the first one. The moment when they line up all the cranes, so cool! Oh my gosh, how We've, did we not did talk we not about, talk about that? That was the best was moment of the, the best movie. moment of the whole movie. So hold up, take it back to last okay. week.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. That was a great moment. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. That's when you know it's a New York movie, baby. <laughs> yes. That's where I felt Alvin Sargent's <laughs> deft touch coming through the page in that moment. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it is just absurd. It's the silliest thing, but also <laughs> it did make me a little teary-eyed. I think in the theaters and rewatching it.
1: There's a similar moment in this movie towards the end, or in the middle, where he like flies in with all the... Uh... The uh, fireman with the hose to get Electrode in Times Square.
0: That moment, the big Electro first moment, right? Uh Is like on a huge scale that feels a little bit different than anything we've seen in a Spider-Man movie before. I like that in the last one too. The lizard feels like almost kind of like a dinosaur. So in both of these, there are like slightly different threats than we're used to seeing in Mm Spider-Man movies. And that feels so big scale that after that, I am like, Why on earth is there another villain in this movie? Yeah. Like, clearly Electro, who is, like, the main thrust of this film, Mm -hmm. at least for the first half, is enough to build a movie around. Yeah. If he can give you a set piece like that.
1: For sure. They just inexplicably lock him up somehow for the second half of the movie for convenience.
0: And there's suddenly, a, like, an evil German scientist. I could not believe my eyes when that was happening.
1: The, the thing that really took this, this movie, for me, from four stars to five and a half stars was when the German scientist comes in and says, I am Dr. Kafka.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my feeling about this movie is that it isn't a movie. It is, like, a thousand movies. have all been mismatched into this one thing it's already into the multiverse of madness man but it's not like there are like two or three different movies that are intercutting there are like thousands of tones and plot lines and weird background characters that are all working at cross purposes unfolding at the same time this almost feels more like an Avenger-style, like, big, like, grand finale of several different <laughs> plot arcs than it does, like, a sequel to the relatively small-scale first movie.
1: But what did this relatively large-scale movie have in
0: comparison to that movie's horrifically large budget? Let's see. So, I think that was 220 This one was less? <laughs> God, can you believe it? <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> I, something must have gone colossally wrong in that first movie for it to cost $220 million. Because this is saying $200 million for this, a marketing budget of the same thing. So it had to make $400 to break even. It did make $700 million, which made it the ninth highest grossing film of 2014. But makes it still to this day the lowest grossing movie in the Spider-Man franchise. Whoa. And I think that was enough to send Sony into crisis mode. <laughs> the fact that it only made a mere $700 million. Wow. It was only the ninth highest grossing. But this is what I want to say about 2014. This is coming out the same summer as Captain America Winter Soldier, X Men Days of Future Past, down. and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, that is the quality of the other superhero films being released within mere months of this.
1: Those are all fairly high watermarks in each of those series, too. That's pretty incredible.
0: I mean, that's a good year. Like, if we were to look at 2013 or 2015, you know. It's not Uh like the quality is that high across the board. Yeah. Those are very good movies that all came out at the same time. This movie was directed again by Mark Webb. It's coming two years after the first one. It's the next movie that basically any of the cast or crew did. There wasn't really anything in the middle. Would it shock you that this movie has seven different writing credits? Not at all. Not even a
1: little bit surprised to hear that.
0: I've tried to parse through this as best I can. There's a story credit only for James Vanderbilt, who is like the main writer on the first one. Mm -hmm. My guess is that he probably did a script on this and then not enough of it got used to qualify for Mm. credit but the screenplay is credited to the writing duo of alex kurtzman and roberto orsi these are jj abrams guys they wrote on alias and fringe okay uh two of his tv shows and then they wrote the first two star trek reboot movies with jj abrams and they wrote the first two transformers movies interesting those are these guys, and they have also brought along a third writer, Jeff Pinker, um, who was also on Fringe. He goes on after this to write The Dark Tower and Venom. Weird. So another little Spider-Man connection there. But those are the three guys who tackled this movie at, to some extent together. Hmm. The other thing I want to say: there's a lot about the music of this this movie. Hmm. One, I think it's great. I think it's the best score we've heard for one of these movies so far. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of excellent stuff. Two, I think it really reveals how overstuffed this movie is because the amount of different types of music that is going on throughout this movie is like really showing like we've got this fun like electro stuff and then we're going into... Some jazzy drums for the weird, like domestic comedy scenes between Aunt May and Peter in this movie, and then you're going into like the metal EDM breakdown of the electro stuff, and then there's these swooping love themes and this sort of like pulsing thriller music for all of the Harry Osborn corporate intrigue. I think it's very good, but I think it is like wild how much is in this
1: movie. This movie is. A National Treasure movie, a James Bond movie, <laughs> um, a Spider-Man movie, an Electro movie. Very true.
0: A rom-com tragedy, a rom trage. The composer for the first film did not return, James Horner. Uh, he actually passed away after this, so that first movie was his last credit. But he was alive and chose not to do this. I have a quote on from him, which I think reveals a little bit about the process of these movies. So he says the director, Mark, uh, was very inexperienced. He and I had a very good relationship. The producers had their own opinion, which is that they didn't want Mark's input. Sony had their own opinion, too, which is that they just wanted more action. The whole thing about doing the first movie was that I liked the director and there was a chance to write something for the two lead characters. But then the next movie ended up being so terrible that I just didn't want to do it. It was just dreadful. (laughs) Damn! Damn! Which is a wild amount of public shade being cast. Yeah, I do think a little insight into like what is clearly that there were just like a thousand different voices in the room on for sure this movie even more than the first one, and there was a big push and pull. The score ended up being written by it's credited to the Magnificent Six, which are these seven musicians who all wrote the score together. This is really crazy. It's by Hans Zimmer, of course, the guy whose name is attached to Dune and The Lion King. covered him many times. Uh, Pharrell Williams, who is a great producer on his own, but also you probably know him from, from Happy, from his pop star career. We've got Johnny Marr, who is of classic rock band The Smiths. Mike Einzinger, who is of metal band Incubus. Tom Holkenborg, who is the EDM early 2000s remix guy, Junkie XL. He scores a lot of movies now, but I don't think I had it at the time. And then you've got two of the guys who actually write uh, the music for Hans Zimmer, which is Steve Mazzaro and Andrew Kawazinski. All of these people collaborated on this score, and it is credited to all of them as a supergroup. Damn, that's so cool it's awesome i've never seen anything like it in any of these movies how about that runtime though two hours and 21 minutes the longest in the series so far it's a two hour
1: and 20 minute movie but it's a breezy two hour and 20 minute movie
0: because it is so completely
1: overstuffed that you never are like in a in any one thing
0: for long enough really to get your bearings yes. <laughs> certainly not long enough to get bored um, In fact, there are several things that you kind of wish they had taken a little more time with. Sure, yeah. I think some scenes were boring just because I didn't care about what was going on. But it is never a slow
1: I am like constantly entertained by the rich boy corporate drama that Dane DeHaan is playing out in this movie and I think it gets sillier and sillier as he becomes like uh, goblinized and even the movie realizes that because at the end of this movie there's a shot of Dane DeHaan almost completely healed from his goblinization saying it comes and goes <laughs> <laughs> like as 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 far as like the necessity of the uh hair and makeup as concerns
0: <laughs> yeah see for me that was the stuff that i like could not handle in this movie everything involving harry in this movie should not be movie, including gwen's death like none of that has any business being in this second movie it should just be the electro stuff and everything else he has going on and then yeah. you can drop that down the line if you want I was feeling like secondhand embarrassment for Dane DeHaan for the performance he's giving in this movie. I mean, you can kind of sense that he's like, we've obviously seen him be good in other things. So you can sense that he's like trying to do something with this material. But like, I kind of wish he hadn't. (laughs) I kind of wish he would have phoned it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange role. James Frank is Harry Osborne it makes sense why they're friends Uh you understand why Peter Parker and Harry Osborn would still be friends even though they're from completely different backgrounds like that like Harry Osborn is genuinely a friendly and fun person now he's manipulative but that comes later and that like comes because of the money but like he is like a at heart like a kind person who is like trying to be good and to his friends and like keep in yeah. touch. I don't feel like that's what this Harry Osborn is doing. It makes you feel really good about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man <laughs> makes you feel like, wow, he's a really sweet guy reaching out to his friends after 12 plus years. Yeah. But I like their stuff where they're just like talking and like hanging out. Like it reads as believably like your friend who you've not seen in so long. <laughs> and just like, so what's new with you?
0: Yeah now actually i do think that i wrote down during that scene it speaks to the power that andrew garfield is such a good actor that he like completely sells this garbage bin dialogue (laughs) yeah that first scene where he's coming in where like harry's on the staircase and he's down there like his performance in that scene is so good and that dialogue is horrible and Dane has basically given him nothing at all in that first scene. And like the fact that he totally grounds you in that reality. He absolutely should have gotten awards for this movie for the fact that it is watchable to any degree.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is really good in this. Like, yeah. everything that is He's wrong great. with this movie has no-
0: nothing to do with it. From my perspective, everything that is wrong with this movie rarely is in the same scene with him. <laughs> Like, normally when he's on screen, we're in pretty good hands. Yeah, true. It's like the other hour and 15 minutes where he's not on screen, where the problems lie. All right, what about this opening sequence that yeah. would be like horribly grim
1: if it weren't so absurd? <laughs> I mean, listeners of the pod may or may not understand how difficult it is for us to record this podcast because of the internet problems that we have. But when I tell you this, man... (laughs) is able to upload secret files from an airplane as it is falling out of the sky. I can't even get Squadcast to work while I'm sitting still in my shed. So I don't
0: believe it. No, like the suspension of disbelief completely ruined for me there. And what? That's 10 years before 2012. That's 2001, 2002 plane Wi-Fi is uploading. As the plane is going down in flames,
1: no less. I don't believe it for one second. It made the entire scene so unbelievably funny. That, <laughs> I mean, it's like gruesome, but it's funny. And everything, like it was just... Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And also that they keep cutting back to the Sony Vio logo on the computer. <laughs> and that, um, that Peter and Gwen both have their Sony smartphones they're texting each other on. Dang. This movie leans even more into like the parents mysterious past history like what was going on the whole thing that is sort of like i guess kind of the big overarching thing this series is doing to like really try and differentiate itself how do you feel about all of that at the end of it i don't think it has
1: anything to do with anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, it really does not appear to have anything to do with anything that materially happens in either movie. Mm -hmm. Even the stuff with the lizard, like if his his parents had just died in a car crash, had been regular scientists who just died in a car crash, the plot about the lizard guy still works exactly the same. Like the emotional connection to dad still works, right? So there's no need for his dad to have been doing some secret stuff with it. He could have even been the one who developed the spiders but it doesn't seem to like make any difference. And that's supposed to be this big reveal in this movie where it's like only the dad's DNA is in the spiders. That's why it won't work on Harry, but it will work on Peter. That seems to be like a fail safe that he put into a plan, not a plan that he was working on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange.
0: Yeah. And it kind of makes it into a weird chosen one thing of like, Peter is the only person who could have been Spider-Man. And that's like because his parents designed it in a way that that could happen. Although, as you say, like in no way intending for that to ever happen. Yeah. The other side of it is that he's in a science lab and gets bitten by a mysterious, sciencey, magical spider randomly and gets spider powers. And that doesn't happen to anyone else ever. So like that is also not like the best, the cleanest. Right explanation for why only he has spider powers but like it still is wholly unnecessary in this
1: movie although okay i do like this thing how this movie starts and ends with like the clock ticking and like the time everybody's always like running out of time in this movie mm. like people say that multiple times over in the film mm-hmm. like it's a theme they're it's, like waving at you okay yeah i um, being like hey it's a theme but it is <laughs> like it does work
0: okay but does the movie on a whole work and that is my question for you emmett flop or bop to the amazing spider-man 2
1: it's a bob i i was i was on for the ride there were parts of it that i was like really wise this year i think the the villain arc for electro in this is really cool And I think you're right that it would have been a whole movie if they just stuck to that and like kind of just handled that and their relationship stuff and not done, maybe done the Gwen Stacy death at the end, but definitely not dealt with any of the Green Goblin stuff, or at least certainly not quite so soon. But for me, like this being about Spider-Man trying to stop Max from becoming Electro, i feel like in so many of these movies it's like they go straight to attacking whatever monster or villain is there like spider-man really does like he comes he tries to de-escalate he like stops the cops from trying to shoot him first which is what they're going to do and he's like really trying to talk it down and like i think that scene is -hmm. really powerful i've seen reviews where they're like the switch for max comes too soon and like no like max is this guy who obviously like he has some issues already like on on his own like he has some anger and some other mental health issues that he needs to that he should be taken care of but it's not being taken care of probably partially because he works for this horrible evil corporation right then in the moment he feels like he's being betrayed by spider-man and it then spider-man isn't betraying him but it's like very clear why max fe- thinks that he is and like why he would feel that way and then all of like the stuff that happens afterwards like once he gets a taste for destruction i i think that i think all of that makes sense I don't think it's like far-fetched and I think it's a pretty cool villain plot. And the idea of Spider-Man trying to stop that first through nonviolence is like pretty cool. And he just like actually wants to save people. I don't know. I like it. I think this whole thing is like him wanting to be needed. And like, that's also what Gwen Stacy wants from Spider-Man is like, you know, like there's this whole thing of, mm-hmm. of like him giving too much of himself to like the crime fighting thing and not enough to his real life and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot. It's a lot going on. I just and I just think it's so sad at the end. Whenever that really works. Mm-hmm. Wait, flopper bot.
0: It's a flop for me. By the end of this, I was like, like this isn't even a movie. And I mean that in a way that is actually kind of charitable to it. Like it is so clear that there are just like too many things going on in this movie and that they're, like, so wildly different, that I was like, all the stuff that works is really good, but, like, it just doesn't stand a chance in this movie that is so deeply confused about why it exists and what it wants to be and what it is even doing. But I do want to say I, I love andrew garfield's performance in this movie Mm -hmm. i think the opening action sequence with spider-man and the final action sequence with spider-man the very end of this movie are like the best the character of spider-man has ever been Mm -hmm. the whole last 20 minutes in general are great emma stone is great and their chemistry is even better than the last one although i Mm -hmm. certainly wish there was more of her here It's a little bit of a bad sign when 15 minutes into the movie, the best thing about the last movie breaks up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're like, this is going to be here a lot less this time around. Yeah. I love Sally Field in this movie. There is like this weird sort of comedy, like these comedy domestic sitcom moments between her and Peter that are like totally wacky, but are some of the best Mm -hmm. stuff in the movie. I think in general, like when Mark Webb is Going for comedy, or when he is like directing relationship stuff with actors, it's really good. But for me personally, all of the Harry stuff, all of the corporate intrigue, I like could not stand or care about and felt like it was out of a completely different movie. And in that way, it reminded me a lot of the original Spider Man 2002. And that there is like stuff I love in this movie and stuff that I cannot stand in this mm, movie. Mm-hmm. And they're both there in big force. But for me personally, at least, I think this is like by far the worst of any of these that we've covered so far.
1: Oh, really? Even worse than Spider-Man 3?
0: Yeah, so much worse than Spider-Man 3.
1: Wow, dig on that.
0: Well, you talked a lot about Electro, so let's get into the villain report because there are several here. <laughs> I agree with you that the, that scene with Electro is really good. His sort of turn. Before that, I think it is a weird use of Jamie Foxx basically yeah. doing like the batman forever jim carrey riddler thing uh, uh-huh. the like nerd who gets noticed by the hero this is what kristen Wake does it has cheetah and wonder woman too Oh, interesting it is like a weird use but i'm okay with it because it seems like jamie fox is having so much fun he is
1: having fun <laughs> isn't
0: he like it just feels like he is so free in that performance as the human max that I am like okay with that very weird take on the character as sort of like sad loner turned obsessive fan yeah he reminds me a lot
1: of the guy from office space who's always talking about the stapler he's just like kind of the weird guy at the office you know Mm -hmm. and then like yeah what if that guy did get superpowers stuff
0: might not go so well yeah for real his parasocial relationship with spider-man yeah i do think he loses a lot of the charm once he becomes blue and like after that first scene it's There's sort of nothing really with him in the rest of the movie. Like nothing where he's playing anything, you know? Yeah, that's true. I also think, and this will tie into the next villain, that they like dispose of the villain so quickly in this movie. Hmm. He basically just like reroutes the one charge and that's Electro gone for good. And then like a bunch of things fall on Harry and that's Harry gone for good. Yeah. And they are like very quick solutions to the final fights in this.
1: That's true yeah there's no double tap which is a thing that it it, from the first one where you think the lizard's dead and then it pops out and gets gets old grandpa
0: well how about harry uh dandahan is harry Osborne slash hobgoblin slash also i'll throw in weird old chris cooper who looks more like the lizard than the lizard does for one scene in this movie and then he dies
1: such a strange thing yeah I like that scene because Chris Cooper is just always pretty good. He just like kind of kills it. Bizarre makeup. Yeah. Bizarre writing. But he sells it. Dane Dohan as the, the Hobgoblin, he wants Spider-Man's blood. Mm-hmm. Why does he want Spider-Man's blood? Because he has a genetic disease he's inherited from his father that turns him into a lizard. No lie so what whatever should he do but obviously it's spider-man's blood he needs that will make him heal good
0: what (laughs) what and then this is what really does it for me he's Uh in the room with spider-man having like a calm one-on-one living room conversation Uh with spider-man who sounds and looks exactly like his best friend and he can't put one and two together there
1: yeah incredible (laughs) also like peter it's called a friggin blood test just get one and you'll know if your bloods are compatible it's not (laughs) that hard like okay i feel like this all could have been avoided if peter parker wasn't so squeamish about needles and look (laughs) i also i faint every time i give blood terrible but yeah you know sometimes you just have to do it find out you know and then if you really do have super spider-man blood that could bond then you could just do this avoid this whole problem <laughs> instead he decides to put spider venom in himself because conveniently and thank you felicity jones for telling us <laughs> shout outs to you
0: we'll talk about <laughs> her in a second <laughs> I'll add her to the lineup.
1: (laughs) Okay. A villain lineup because she's like, Oh, by the way, conveniently when they killed all the spiders before they did that, they also took the venom out of the spiders and put it in little vials. So
0: they still had the venom, but that makes more sense. You're telling me one of these spiders bit Spider-Man and like, and then they killed them all and nothing else happened? Like, so
1: weird. Also, the one that bit Spider-Man could not possibly have been killed at the same time because his dad's the one who kills the spiders. The one that bit Spider-Man bites him in current
0: day and when he was like 17. So what the hell? I was confused about that because there's some reference to a lawsuit but i was like what was that like there's they say something about like after the lawsuit we got rid of all the spiders but i was like what what are you talking
1: about yeah but also his dad killed a bunch of spiders so did his dad kill all the spiders or not it's such a muddled mess this the people who wrote this movie certainly don't know i'm not going to try and parse it out (laughs) any further
0: yeah that's fair that is fair so this was something that was in the script but then got changed. This was an early version of the script. There are uh-huh. a ton of huge scenes in this movie that were shot and got cut out oh, that no we'll way. talk about in a in a second. But w- one of the original things was that Gwen would need like an emergency blood transfusion at the very end rather than immediately dying, sort of paying off this plot line and Peter would like give her his blood. And then think it doesn't work. And then, like, when they're fighting the rhino at the end, she comes up and, like, she's a Spider Woman, too, basically, having gotten his powers. Although that would make no sense with, like, the DNA chosen one thing. But
1: it would have been a great chance for a Brian Singer DNA binding sequence.
0: <laughs> or maybe it would make sense if the spider stuff has already been activated by his DNA and blood if it goes to someone else. I don't know. I I don't know anything about science. I don't know. That's
1: horrible. It's it really rips me out that Gwen Stacy dies in this.
0: Yeah. I mean I think it is handled well, but like it is so sad. It's so sad to picture them making more movies without her. Mm-hmm. And I mean what what I don't know. What can you say about it? the acting around it is all good. I think that it's done very true to the comics. Mm-hmm. And pretty tastefully, I do think that there is almost like, and this is actually something that's kind of a positive thing for me, and that it's one of the few times I feel that there is like a point of view from the director, but there's almost like a sadistic approach to her involvement in that scene, where like, they keep teasing the fall, mm-hmm. like she like mini falls like six times or yeah. gets in harm's way, like continually throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And she's like always fine until the second where she isn't yeah you know
1: yeah i it was it's which makes it hard on a rewatch as well Mm -hmm. i think that which is really clever because it makes you because you know it's coming or you know if you're a fan of the comics you also probably know it's coming then as it's teased yeah i think that you're right it builds the tension even
0: more there also are throughout like these little quicksilver-esque moments of you seeing sort of I guess like the Spidey sense or something, but like you see everyone else frozen around Spider-Man and she's reacting. And then you sort of understand like when the fall happens, it goes into that and you're like, oh, that was all there to like lead up to this moment, which Mm. I think is well done too.
1: It's just so cool with like the, he stops the clock. He's like literally stopping time and holding on, like holding on and then it snaps. And as it snaps, she falls and the clock like spins around really quick. Reminds me of the scene in um, Big Fish where, like, time stops when he sees the love of his life, and then it speeds yeah, back yeah. up again, and like everything. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Who's next up on our villains? Okay, let's
0: do. Let's throw in Felicity Jones, Old Jin Erzo. Here she's playing Felicia Hardy, uh, a big character in the comics. Uh huh. Who? This is her first time ever making it to screen, but in the comics, Felicia Hardy is Black Cat who is basically Catwoman. Okay. Not to be derivative, but she is reductive, but she is like, maybe she's bad, maybe she's good. A person who dresses up as a cat Uh and is a supervillain who also has, like, a sexual relationship with Spider-Man. And There's this big, like, will they hate each other, love each other. Mm -hmm. She's a bad guy, but she also sometimes teams up with Silver Sable, who's, like, a female mercenary, another Spider-Man villain, and they have their own comic called Silver and Black. Um, so those are her two like big things. But she is a big character in the comics. And like Spider-Man's third love interest, basically. Oh, wow. Who has never sort of been done on screen. So obviously in this, she is just like an executive, I guess, at Oscorp. Who sort of becomes like Harry's assistant. But it's kind of an interesting role.
1: Yeah, she was his dad's personal assistant, I think. Okay. And then he was like, well, she knows everything about how the company is run, so she should run the company, and everybody else works for her now. But then they fire him somehow? I guess I don't understand corporate politics enough.
0: They framed the murder of Max Dillon, Electro, Mm. on... Or basically, they just revealed to the public that it had happened... And say, like, this guy was in charge when... Uh, Which, obviously, we know from real-life corporate politics, when a company is big enough, like, people die at those companies all the time. And the yeah. CEOs don't get housed It has so.
1: nothing. Yeah, it has nothing to do.
0: Okay, and now, last but not least, let's talk about Paul Giamatti's turn. Oh, my
1: God. As
0: the rhino.
1: I love the opening car chase uh. sequence with him. So good.
0: It's what I meant to be like, roll the window down. <laughs> He's outside.
1: This movie really tells us that after all of the heartfelt drama with Max, with the tragedy of having his girlfriend killed by his old friend, that Spider-Man's next super villain that is going to occupy all his time is a Russian meth addict <laughs> in a rhinoceros <laughs> mech suit. Are you joking? <laughs> Are you,
0: are you? I mean, what? Yeah. You're like vibe check. <laughs> it's good. It's great. I don't know. Just happy for Paul Giamatti. Seems like he's having a lot of fun. He's having a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, let's get into a little bit of the behind-the-scenes drama here. First Spider-Man movie to be shot exclusively in New York, so that's pretty cool. And it is the largest film uh, production that ever happened in New York. So shout out to that. Wow. Okay, here are some of the scenes that were shot for this movie, most of which are available as deleted scenes, but ended up getting cut. The two biggest ones, first of all, you've got Shailene Woodley um, from Divergent, from The Fault in Our Stars. She was cast in this movie as Mary Jane Watson. Oh, you love to see it. Who was going to be like Peter's new neighbor. And I think that they filmed like half of her scenes in the script. And then halfway through filming, they were like, Nah, this is a little bit too much. And they just like cut her out of the movie and didn't even film the rest of the stuff. And those scenes have never come out. But we do know they filmed a few scenes like talking over the fence at each other, they Whoa. basically
1: said. That's so cute.
0: They cut a scene where Harry is like laughing at Peter immediately after Gwen's death when Peter comes up and like beats him up into a big bloody pulp. And we just don't need it, I think. Oh, Oh, there's this whole subplot with Max's mom that was going to be like in like she doesn't come to his birthday party. And then something happens to him later. And that like is all part of his villain arc. Interesting. This is the big thing. And this is on YouTube. I watched this before. There's a six minute scene that's from the end of this movie where Peter is uh, is at Gwen's grave. This thing that's in the movie. And a man comes behind him, and it's his dad with a big beard who is alive. He survived the plane crash, and he like has a conversation with Peter about loss. And at the end of it, he tells him, with great power comes great responsibility. And then we cut to the rhino stuff of him coming back to save the day. What? <laughs> yeah, isn't that wild? I never knew that before today until I was doing research, and I watched the scene. So that scene, they shot that. They were confident enough that they actually shot that. They shot that. All of those Damn. last ones, other, all of this is stuff that they actually shot. Wow. And I think other than the MJ stuff, they actually released it all too. Damn. I think either you cut more of the father stuff if you're going to cut this or like you leave it in because that just does sort of feel like it feels like a resolution to a big part of this movie that otherwise, yeah. as you said, sort of has nothing to do with anything.
1: Yeah. So did they think they were going to make a third one?
0: Oh, they thought they were going to make a lot of these. Okay. So before this was released, they had a big announcement and this is what they said. Amazing Spider-Man two, 2014, Mm -hmm. amazing Spider-Man three, 2016, a sinister six solo movie, which is set up in, in this it's going to come out later in 2016. Then we're going to have a movie called venom and carnage in 2017. Then we're going to have a Black Cat movie with Felicity Jones as the lead, also in 2017. And then we're going to do The Amazing Spider-Man 4 in 2018, which is what it's all leading up to. Holy hell. This was their springboard for like an MCU-like connected universe. And obviously all that stuff, like Felicity Jones is in this. There's the weird scene towards the end where the gentleman from the last movie comes back and he walks through Oscorp and they've got like the Dr. Octopus arm.
1: And the vulture wings. Yeah.
0: And I think in the trailers, but not in the movie, you also see like the Venom symbiote there. Oh, interesting. And that's all setting up like a Sinister Six thing. So they announced all that before. And also this same year is like the big email hack for Sony Pictures. And it was revealed in those some of the plans, which was going to be that Amazing Spider-Man 3 was going to be about Chris Cooper coming back to life as the Green Goblin.
1: Hell yeah. You'll love to see it.
0: Gwen Stacy was going to come back to life and be the co-lead of the Black Cat movie. And then an Amazing Spider-Man 4, she was going to turn into Carnage and be the bad guy of that movie. Interesting. What? This movie obviously did not do as well as they hoped. So I think then they went to Kevin Feige and were like, what advice do you have? And he was like, I'd like to buy the Spider-Man rights back. That's the advice I have. Wow, And of course they didn't do that because Sony would never do that because they basically stay alive in the movie business because of Spider-Man. But they do this partnership, which is announced in February 2015, that they're going to work together, that Spider-Man is going to be in the MCU, that the Amazing Spider-Man series is over, Andrew Garfield is out, and they're looking to cast someone new. Wow. That's February 2015. So how does all of that strike you? Does it feel too early? Would you like to see more of the stuff that's teased in this movie? I would take
1: more Andrew Garfield Spider-Man for several movies doing a lot of different things. I like him a lot as an actor. Mm -hmm. I think I'd always liked him just because he's, you know, he's cute and he's fairly charming. But like, I think especially in these two movies with not good scripts, he is rendering like some pretty compelling scenes. So I would really want to see as much more of that as much more like stuff as they wanted to put him through, I think would be fun. And I do like the idea of a multiverse built around a single superhero. Hmm. I'm interested to see how it all plays out. You know,
0: Uh, MVP, OTP, most valuable player other than Peter Parker Emmett. Who is your MVP other than Andrew Garfield for this movie?
1: There's a lot of good performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's gotta be Jamie Foxx as Max slash Electro. Oh wow.
0: Yeah. I think
1: he's a lot of fun in this. I think this if it wasn't him, it probably wouldn't work as well. He's so likable even when he's that like kind of strange and kind of strange guy, but he's still likable and you do feel sorry for him and you like want him to be friends with Mm spider-man the stuff where it ties back around to like spider-man trying to be the friendly neighborhood spider-man and like the kid all of that stuff is the stuff that like works the best about this movie especially paired with andrew garfield as like this very kind heart forward spider-man yeah how about you what's your mvp
0: well, I thought you were going to pick Emma Stone, so I do feel some obligation to her. But I'm going to go forward with my MVP, which is Sally Field, as Anne. Oh, yeah, I think is great in this movie. She has a couple of monologues that she just absolutely destroys. I love like the little comedy stuff that her and Peter gets to play. I love the emotional stuff, and even like when she's doing some sort of like nurse business that's like tied into the whole finale. That stuff is good too. So. In general, big fan of Sally Field, and I think her M.A. is one of the best parts of these movies.
1: And how she doesn't want to tell Peter that she's doing it to help pay for him to go to school. Yeah. Yes, Emma Stone is great in this, and I love the moment where he tells tells her he's going to follow her wherever she goes. Oh yeah. Like he can like fight crime anywhere in the world. That's so sweet.
0: I have two that guy awards for this ooh, movie. Ooh, ooh, ooh. One is uh BJ Novak from The Office as Max's uh-huh. boss. Yes. And then the other one is the uh assassin guy with like the very strong face and the black hair, the Oscorp assassin oh, guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't know who he was the whole movie, but I was like, oh, it's that guy. Uh his name, incredibly, is Lewis Cancel Me. That is his actual name. Uh, Lewis, cancel me. And I just saw him in Tammy Faye. The Eyes of right. Tammy Faye is Andrew Garfield's like assistant in that movie. Oh, so. yeah.
1: Another great Andrew Garfield performance there, too.
0: Truly. He actually hasn't done that much. That's what I was kind of surprised by. For as, like, a list of an actor, as we think of him being. He's only been in, I believe, 18 movies.
1: Well, it still seems like a lot.
0: Which is a lot, but not a huge amount. And four of those came out last year. Oh, whoa. So before last year, he'd only been in 14 movies. Okay, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts on The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Emmett? It's the
1: movie so amazing that I had to make it twice. <laughs> amazing Spider-Man 2. Check it out. If you liked X-Men Apocalypse, if you liked The Northman, but wish that it wasn't so bloody or good... Yeah, watch this movie. It'll be fun for you. It's a case of eat, eat your vegetables so that you know what dessert is like. Fair enough. Uh, Wade, do you have any
0: final thoughts? No final thoughts on this one. Instead, we're going to start our quiz. Now, we all know that Andrew Garfield shares the name of the world's most famous cat, <laughs> Garfield. Yes. <laughs> uh, did you know Emmett? That there have been 73 collected volumes of garfield comics unbelievable since the original one published in february 1980 which was called garfield at large and the joke of all of these titles and i guess the joke of garfield in general is just that he's a fat cat
1: he's a fat lazy cat
0: a big lazy cat who likes lasagna so all of these are titled Basically like weight or food jokes or some sort of puns. All of these 73. I have chosen 15 of these and you're going to have to tell me if they're real or fake.
1: Oh, I love it. Okay. So
0: some of these are the real Jim Davis collected volumes. Some of these are ones that I have made up. Sometimes you're in
1: the infield. Sometimes you're in the outfield. Right now I'm in the Garfield and I'm feeling
0: pretty low about Number one. Garfield gains weight. Um,
1: <laughs> real, real. That's
0: correct. Okay, hell yeah. That's correct. Number two, Garfield sits around the house.
1: That's not real. That's real. Oh!
0: <laughs> Number three, Garfield pulls up his pants. I th- don't think that's real. Garfield doesn't have pants. You're correct. That one is not real. Uh number four, Garfield for dinner. I think that's real. Wrong. Oh. That is a fake. Number five, Garfield worldwide. <laughs> that's gotta be real. That is real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this was a personal favorite of mine. Number six, Gar- <laughs> Garfield older and wider. That's real. That's gotta be real. (laughs) That is real. That is real. Uh, Seven, I think. Garfield won't stop. (laughs) Uh, Real? Wrong. Damn. That is a fake. Uh, It's coming out any day, though, now. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Number eight Garfield weighs his options. (laughs) (laughs) That's fake. That is real. No, that's a real one. <laughs> that just... Oh man! Number nine: Garfield eats through Monday. <laughs> that's real. That's a fake. Damn <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, oh, that was a good one. Making. Thank that you. That was
1: that's a real good construction.
0: Garfield slurps and burps. That's real. That is real. I think I have seen that one. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I believe this is 11. Garfield goes hog wild. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's gotta be real.
0: That is real. That is real. Um, Number 12. Garfield swallows his pride. <laughs> real? That is real. Uh. 13. Garfield hams it up. That's gotta be real. <laughs> that is indeed real. Uh, number 14, our penultimate volume, Garfield Kicks the Habit. Uh, real? Fake. Fake. Oh. And finally, number 15, Garfield Goes to His Happy Place. Fake. That's real. Wait! <laughs> That's <laughs> a a real one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Bob. A shout out to Jim Davis, absolute maniac for putting out 73 of this garbage. Okay,
1: how many, how many times do you think the word Monday is used
0: in the in those over 73 volumes of Garfield? A lot. I remember the great Twitter account, I think it was, called Garfield Without Garfield, where they just take Garfield out of all the comics, and it's just, like, the owner, like, talking to himself. (laughs) It's, like, a very surreal experience. Wow. Also, shout out to the beach in France where all the Garfield phones keep washing up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. It's real. There's a beach in France that just has thousands of Garfield phones wash up on the shore every day. Oh, the world is a strange place. <laughs> <laughs> but well done, Emmett. You got eight correct and seven incorrect. So you've edged out a victory. Hell yeah. A majority victory in my book. In a mere seven weeks, we're going to be covering Jordan Peele's Nope. Can't wait for it.
1: Sends shivers down the spine.
0: <laughs> Webhead Summer is continuing in two weeks with our first Tom Holland appearance in Captain America Civil War mere two years after this movie. Very excited for that, but that is two weeks because next week we are going to be covering Jurassic World Dominion.
1: Oh my god, so excited.
0: That will be coming out this Thursday or Friday as this launches, so catch it before listening to the episode because we will be fully spoiling whatever those crazy dinos get up to. Until then, Emmett...
1: Stay frosted, y'all. Just like those dinosaurs did.
0: Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at Cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.